Hello, and welcome back to this podcast series. Today, we're continuing our theme of looking at what some of the less well-seen bits of a hospital pharmacy do by asking the question, what's the point of pharmacy QC or QA? Now for this one, pharmacy QA is absolutely not my specialist subject. So in order to uncover the mysteries of this shadowy department, I've enlisted the help of a QA colleague to educate me first. However, standard pharmacy protocols apply to this, so though she's only advising, any factual errors are completely due to her, not me. With that covered, we're going to talk about what Pharmacy QA does, why it exists, why they're sometimes called QC and sometimes QA, and how without them the more visible bits of pharmacy and of patient care in general could grind to a halt. As we only have a short podcast to cover things in, we're absolutely not going to cover everything, but we are hopefully going to give a broad overview to make you interested in finding out more and inspire you to track down your local pharmacy QA person, they're sometimes a bit well hidden, and find out a bit more for yourself. So with those caveats, let's get started. What does pharmacy QA actually do? Well, first of all, it's probably worth talking about what the difference is between QC and QA, as they're all intertwined in the work of pharmacy QA, and they tend to get mixed up, and unpicking them will let us give some structure to what we're going to talk about. So quality control, or QC, is all about the checking of things, and is probably the sort of thing that springs most easily to mind when thinking about what pharmacy QC do. It's in their traditional name, after all. So this checking of things is about testing stuff and making sure that things are as they should be. Looking at a specific unlicensed medicine, for example, is what you've bought what you think you've bought? Or testing aseptically made products to make sure that they are actually aseptic? So this is quite sciencey stuff, microbiological testing or chemical analysis in some of the larger centres. But there's also stuff in the QC area that you might not think of as being traditionally pharmacy. So for example, medical gases. Does the system you've got set up to deliver oxygen around the hospital actually deliver the oxygen that you need? So that's the QC aspects. But the other side of it is quality assurance or QA. QA is earlier in the process and is about building in safety into pharmacy processes around the procurement, storage, distribution and use of medicines. As we've covered in a previous podcast, licensed medicines get their licences by demonstrating that they are effective, safe and made to an acceptable standard. But if you're buying an unlicensed medicine, where do you get your assurance that products haven't been made in a shed in someone's back garden? Or rather, that the manufacturing facilities that were used are up to the specification that we'd want for our patients? If you're storing stuff in a fridge, how confident are you that the fridges in your trust are actually keeping things at the right temperature? If you're making chemotherapy in your aseptics unit, how can you be assured that your unit, processes and equipment are up to scratch? And once you've made your product, how do you know how long you can keep it on the shelf for before it might be outside of the specifications? All of these things fall under Pharmacy QA's QA remit. And then outside of these things, there's all the other stuff as well that doesn't fall neatly into the QC-QA split. So Pharmacy QA can help if you think you've spotted a fault with a batch of medicines, for example, how to report it, whether to quarantine it and the like. They can also help to provide training about the stuff that they do, investigate errors, and help to lead change management processes to make sure medicines are handled safely and effectively within a trust. Which all sounds quite good on paper, but all rather theoretical. Yeah, someone needs to do this stuff, but why does it need to happen in each hospital? And why can't the QA nerds just quietly get on with it in the corner? After all, most medicines now come in blister packs with clear storage requirements and governance coming out of their ears. Well, for the majority of time, they do just get on with it quietly in the corner. You just don't notice it. But the point of this mini-series of podcasts is to highlight the importance of the bits of pharmacy that don't make the news. There's more to hospital pharmacy than just medicines reconciliation. 
and QA are a key part of all those hidden functions that keep a hospital supplied with high quality medicines, with working fridges and with an oxygen supply that doesn't peter out halfway down the corridor to ICU at lunchtime when all the patients on the respiratory ward switch over from CPAP to nasal high flow so they can both eat and breathe. But given pharmacy's tendency towards belt and braces, overly cautious approaches to safety, it's a reasonable question to ask, is it really useful to have all these people around who know this sort of traditional pharmaceutical stuff just in case of the weird stuff cropping up? I mean, what can't be dealt with by following a guideline or an SOP? But it turns out that weird stuff isn't the same as rare stuff, and weird stuff crops up a surprising amount of the time, particularly during, say, a global pandemic where weird stuff dominates. So if you are trying to get yourself through a pandemic, how do you manage a vaccine that needs to be kept at minus 70, can't be shaken, but also needs to be distributed widely across the country? How do you add in all the extra oxygen capacity that you need for all the ventilators that have been bought without sucking all the oxygen out of your original ICU? How do you install a piped oxygen system from scratch in a conference centre repurposed into a Nightingale hospital? How do you manage supplies of all the fancy new medicines that are coming online but only available as unlicensed products? Or how do you manage the old ones that procurement are struggling to get hold of as demand has wiped out supplies of the single-dose vials that you normally use, so all you've got access to are vials you could treat 50 patients with if only you could pack them down safely? And it's this sort of traditional pharmacy knowledge that's squirrelled away in QA and that's important from a systems perspective for the smooth and safe running of the hospital. But it's also important from an individual patient perspective too. So if you're wanting to get a medicine from abroad, or having problems keeping a medicine storage area at the right temperature, or wanting to inject something designed for veins into the spine and want to know if that's okay, go and talk to your friendly local pharmacy QA team, and involve them early, as they may be able to make things simpler for you and get the best treatment for your individual patient actually into your individual patient in a reasonable time frame. They may have a reputation for talking about TSE certificates, C of A's, workplace exposure limits and the like, but they are a patient-focused service and can help you to make pragmatic decisions about the products that you use and how you use them in a timely manner. So hopefully this has helped to uncover a little bit about what the pharmacy QA nerds do and how they can help healthcare systems treat patients by applying the pharmacy knowledge you learnt at university but never thought you'd use in real life. If you get a chance to go and see what they do, there's worse ways to spend your time. Thank you for listening and see you next time.